Hi y'all, you're listening to In the Corner Back by the Woodpile. Spun Counter Guy, thanks for stopping by. Journey to the West researcher Jim McClanahan is back by the woodpile, this time to talk all about Chubajia, aka Pigsy. We'll talk about Marshall Chu's origins, his various accessories, his various names, his life as a parable, and at least a handful of separations from his relationship to Indiana Jones. First, let's get started by you telling us about Jubajia and how he first entered the story of Journey to the West and what is his role in the novel. Jubajia first appears in Chapter 8 as a monstrous pig spirit who is pacified and converted to Buddhism by Guan Yin, the Bodhisattva. Uh, he is told to wait for the coming of a scripture seeker. So instead of eating people, you know, he has to keep like a vegetarian diet, don't drink alcohol or anything like that. Uh, he reappears in chapter 18 as the son-in-law of a family uh, of the old Gal village in the territory of the kingdom of, and I'm not sure how to pronounce this, it's the romanization is Q-O-C-O, so I don't know if it's Quoco, something like that. Uh, and by the way, this was a real kingdom founded in the ninth century by the Uyghur people mm-hmm. and located in the prefectural city of Turpan in today's uh, Xinjiang province. Anyway, he arrived three years prior, magically disguised as a human and married into the Gao family helping them to amass a fortune by using his great strength to cultivate rice and wheat fields. However, over time, he reverts to his true form and imprisons his wife in a small house behind the Gao family estate. Sometime later, uh, by happenstance, uh, Samuel Kong is, is hired to exercise the demon, so to speak. Samuel Kong frees the girl and takes her place, like magically taking on her form. And when Jubajia tries to, you know, get her to come to bed, Monkey, as the girl says, uh, no, I have to take a dump. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't want to. Um, but anyway, after Monkey reveals his true nature, uh, the pig spirit flees by cloud to his home. And that's called the Cloudy Paths Cave on the mountain of the Blessed Mound. There he reveals his true origins. He says that he was uh, originally a deluded, slothful youth who attained immortality under a sage. He later ascended to heaven where he was appointed Marshal of the Heavenly Reeds, uh, the commander of the Heavenly Navy, so pretty high ranking. Uh, and he was gifted a divine nine-tooth battle rake, uh, and he was even part of the forces that fought Sun Wukong during uh, the monkey's rebellion against heaven. However, shortly after Sun Wukong's incarceration under Five Elements Mountain, the Marshal of Heavenly Reeds got drunk, 
at the Queen Mother's Peach Banquet and forced himself on the moon goddess. And for this, he was executed and his soul banished to Earth. And basically, he was born into the womb of a pig by mistake. After a brief fight, uh, Jubajia submits to Monkey and becomes the second disciple of Tripitaka, or the Tong monk, whatever you want to call him, Tong Sansak, whatever, the chosen scripture seeker. So, you know, in the beginning, he was, uh, Jubajia was told to wait for the scripture seeker. So that's who he had been waiting for. So what Jubajia, what he mainly does is he serves as like the, the luggage carrier as well as the comic relief. And he actually fills the role of the clown in Chinese opera. That's why you have the back and forth tit for tat sort of relationship between Samuel Kong and Jubajia. But he is a former heavenly general, so he does have combat skills. In fact, he's even more adept at fighting underwater than even Sun Wukong. For example, he is the one who actually battles uh, Sha Wujing in the Moving Sands River prior to the latter becoming Tripitaka's third disciple. In addition, um, Juba Jin knows the 36 transformations of the Heavenly Ladle. So Sun Wukong knows 72 transformations. So... You know, I guess you could say Jubaijian knows, you know, like half the magical transformations than Samuel Kong. But Jubaijian admits, quote, if you want me to change into something delicate, elegant and agile, I simply can't do it. But if it's a mountain, a tree, a boulder, an earth mound, a scabby elephant, a graded hog, a water buffalo or a camel, I can change into all of those things, end quote. And before I continue, I'd like to point out that Jubajia actually gives a second origin story later in the novel. And uh, I'm indebted to a person on Instagram for bringing this to my attention. His name is Study of Journey to the West. I just definitely wanted to point that out. In chapter 85, uh, Jubaijia implies that he was already a pig when he was appointed the Marshal of Heavenly Reeds. There's a poem that mentions how, you know, he was prized for his strong or his powerful snout and his large tusks. You know, so obviously those are attributes of a pig. And instead of drunkenly forcing himself on the moon goddess, uh, he says that he insults her or insulted her. He knocked over uh, Lao Tzu's Tushita palace with his snout, and then he ate all of the Queen Mother's divine herbs. For this, he is beaten 2,000 times and exiled to the mortal world to work his way back up the spiritual hierarchy. And this explains why he still possesses his divine rake, as well as memories of his time in heavens. So if you would think about it, you know, if somebody is executed and reincarnated, at least according to religious theory, you're going to lose all of your memories. You're going to, you know, you definitely wouldn't be able to take your magic weapons with you. Yeah! Come over here and help me! Oh. Okay, I'm here to help. What should I do? I've got the demon's essence trapped in his throat. Now you suck it out of there fast. Yes, 
How do I do that? With your mouth! Hang on, you mean you want me to use my mouth to suck out the demon? How else, huh? Right? So does Jubajia originate from sources older than Journey to the West? Or is he based on, or does he have similarities to other characters in Chinese folklore? Uh, and when does he actually enter Journey to the West? Because as we've talked before in other episodes, there's an evolution of this novel that not all the characters were there at the beginning. Right. So Jubajia is actually a late comer to the story cycle. You know, I explained in my first appearance, Shao Jing, or a precursor of Shao Jing, appears in material as far back as the seventh century. So he's been there the longest out of anybody. And then you have uh, Sun Wukong. He appears in eleventh uh, century material, at least eleventh century. It could be older. It's just there's no written material for it or recorded material for it. Uh, Jubaijie doesn't appear until the 14th century. Uh, his oldest uh, pictorial depictions include a ceramic pillow and a fragmented incense bowl, both of which are from China. And then there are a series of sequential carvings on a marble pagoda from Korea. I know people might say, why are there carvings uh, of Jubajie on a pagoda from Korea, the carvings actually show events from Journey to the West, so it includes all of the characters. So Tripitaka, Sun Wukong, uh, Jubajie, and Sha Jing. And the pagoda itself is actually, the money for it came from Koreans, but those Koreans themselves had connections to the Yuan Dynasty court in China. And there's actually a Korean primer on uh, colloquial Chinese that records uh, material that would uh, that makes up I think it's chapters 44 to 46 in the final 1592 edition of Journey to the West. So you know the the these tales have been circulating in Asia for a millennia. So you know. You, if it's or it started in China, but it's spread out to other countries. That's why it's super popular. So, going on about what his origins are, there are a few that I, I've read. There's one in particular that I really like. So I'll just I'll start off with one that's not as strong. I think so. There was a, a Japanese scholar, and I feel bad. I I, for, I forgot his name. But the, uh, the Japanese scholar suggests that Jubaijie was influenced by one of 12 animal protector guardians of the medicine Buddha. These animals come from the Chinese zodiac and are associated with different hours of the day. The hours for the pig are 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. And the different uh, depictions of this guardian pig, he's usually draped in black. And I'll discuss later, but uh, Jubaijie is described as having black skin in the novel. So this is not really one of the strongest suggestions, but I'll, I'll go on. So according to Ben Bros, a late Yuan to early Ming play called Journey to the West, uh, which predates the similarly named novel by nearly 200 years, casts Jubaijie as the 
holy animal or mount, whatever you want to call it, of the esoteric Buddhist sun goddess Marichi. And I think that I'm pronouncing that correctly. This deity is sometimes depicted with the head of a boar among her many faces. In addition, uh, religious statues show her standing on a boar or riding in a chariot pulled by a team of seven boars. These animals represent the seven stars of the Big Dipper. In Taoism, Marichi is known as Daomu, uh, or the mother of the Big Dipper. And as her name implies, Taoist lore casts her as the mother of the stars of the Big Dipper. The origin of Marichi's boars is pretty interesting, actually. Um, Alice Getty, G-E-T-T-Y, explains the word riksha, which is R-I-K-S-H-A, the Sanskrit word used to denote the stars of the Big Dipper sound just like the term for bear. And if you remember that the alternative name for the Big Dipper constellation is Ursa Major or the Great Bear. Therefore, one hypothesis states this confusion may have resulted in the sun goddess's mount being a bear, but due to the scarcity of the animal in South Asia, or just plain iconographic confusion in my opinion, the animal was changed to a boar over time. If this was true, this means that Jubaija could have been a bear, which I think is pretty cool. I should point out that the Marshal of the Heavenly Reeds is a historical deity that is worshipped to this day. A more accurate translation for um, Tianpeng, which is the original Chinese characters for his name, is Heaven's Mugwort. And mugwort is a medicinal herb thought by ancient people to ward off the demons of sickness. Therefore, scholars suggest the plant was at one point uh, anthropomorphized and deified. Heavenly Reed is mentioned as far back as the 6th century. And during the 10th century, Taoism appointed him the head of the 36 thunder generals of the Department of Exorcism. He was later associated with a trinity of powerful gods, all of which were underlings of the Dark Emperor of the North, which is considered the greatest exorcist god of Taoism. It's interesting to note that Heavenly Reeds is considered one of the stars of the Big Dipper. And as I mentioned earlier, Marichi's boars and the sons of Dolmu represent the stars of the Big Dipper. Therefore, the author-compiler of Journey to the West may have drawn upon the older Journey to the West play and existing religious beliefs to create uh, Jubaijia. So he's kind of a a mix of Buddhist, or likely a mix of Buddhist and Taoist beliefs and and folklore. Let's talk about his name, Jubajia, and any other names that he acquires along the way. Okay. All right. So I'll actually go in the order that uh, the names are taken or received uh, because uh, Jubajia is a name that he acquires, I know this sounds weird, but like in the middle or later. So 
the first name that he has officially in the novel uh, is Tian Peng Yuan Shui, and that that's just the Chinese name for Marshal of the Heavenly Reeds. And as previously mentioned, this was his heavenly title. And then when he is、uh, a pig spirit, the name he actually gives himself is、uh, Zhu Gong Lie, and that is pig of stiff bristles. And、uh, this the stiff bristles refers to that he has like this mane, this thick mane of of stiff hairs on the back、uh, of his head. The name comes up in his second appearance. During the time that Samuel Kong is disguised as the woman, and、uh, you know Samuel Kong is like, you know, you're a monster. I I don't even know your name. I can't introduce you to you know my wider family. And so he's like, well, hey, why don't you just tell your family that my name is this? You know,、uh, Zhu Gong Lie, Pig of Stiff Bristles. So that's where that name comes up. And then the third name is、uh, Chu Wu Nang, which is Pig Awakened to Power, and this is the like his Buddhist name given to him when he is converted by、uh, Guan Yin. The next name, the fourth name, is Dai Zi, which means idiot, <laughs> and this is this is given to him by Samuel Kong, and it is used throughout the novel, and it. Uh, harkens to his role as a clown in Chinese opera. Of course, his most well-known name is、uh, Chu Ba Jie, and that means "pig of eight prohibitions." And according to、uh, the translator Anthony Yu, these are quote the first eight of the ten commandments in Buddhism, forbidding killing, stealing, sexual immorality, lying. The use of cosmetics and other personal comforts, strong drink, the use of dancing and music, and eating out of regulation hours. The last two deal with spe-、uh, specific forbidden foods and the rule for fasting. End quote. This is the name Jubajie is given to him by Tripitaka. The next name is、uh, Mu Mu. Which means wood mother, and this is a term from、uh, Chinese alchemy, and it's it refers to、uh, the liver and metallic mercury. And I know that sounds really weird,、um, but there's something、uh, that has to do with like the sixty years、uh, cycle in Chinese cosmology. They're called like the twelve earthly stems. And I mean, I am no expert on it whatsoever, but I do know that the earthly stems they are associated with a particular time of day, an element, a direction, all these different things, and they are also associated with、uh, animals. And in this case, wood is associated with pigs, so that is why he is called. The Wood Mother. His next name is、uh, Jing Tan Shizi, and that is the janitor of the altar. This is a name he receives,、uh, or it's a title, I guess I should say, at the end of the novel.、Um, while all of the other pilgrims achieve enlightenment and high spiritual rank,、uh, Chu Baijia is still considered a slave to his desires. 
So the Buddha gives him this position so he can eat all of the food offerings left on the altars in homes and temples throughout the cosmos. So he actually complains, you know, like why they get all this, you know, this high spiritual rank and I'm just a lowly janitor. And the Buddha basically just says, you're a gluttonous turd. And so so he's like, hey, here, I'll just give you this position. That way you can just eat all you want. Now shut up and stand off to the side. (laughs) And then let's see his last name. Uh, This may be more familiar to Western listeners. So Pigsy, and this name comes from the book called Monkey. And this is Arthur Whaley's famous 1942 uh, abridged English translation of Journey to the West. Uh, The book refers to Sun Wukong as Monkey and Shao Jing as Sandy. Finger, what is that thing? It was made for me by Lao Tzu. The venerable Lao. Heaven. It was to compensate me for this incarnation. It's my muck, Rick. You don't say. Then you must be the real ex-marshal of heaven. Ah, yes. You know, Simba Kong has a ton of accessories, which we talked about in the last episode. But uh, so does uh, Pigsy. Can you talk about his? Well, there there are two things that I can, I can talk about. Um, the two main things are his rake which is, you know, a given. And then he has a golden headband. So I'll do the rake first. So the nine tooth uh, weapon is called the high treasure golden rake, but it is more commonly called the muck rake. Uh, It was forged by Lao Tzu and a host of other gods as a present for the Jade Emperor and later given to the Marshal of Heavenly Reeds. One poem says that it was made from, quote, divine ice steel, uh, end quote, which is likely a transcription error. The Chinese word for ice, which is bing, Mm -hmm. sounds very similar to bean. Uh, Bean steel was a high-quality crucible steel originally imported to China from Persia. Uh, The reason I argue for such an error is because a poem in Chapter 75 states, Lao Tzu used uh, bean steel to create Sun Wukong's signature staff. The book actually does give a weight for the rake. It weighs 5,048 catties, and a caddy, the original Chinese word is jin. A caddy is, it's more than a a pound. Uh, So that is 5,048 caddies is... 6,677.3 pounds or 3,028.8 kilograms. The weight is based on the folk belief that the Buddhist canon is comprised of 5,048 scrolls, which I thought was interesting. I have to thank uh, the translator, Anthony Yu, for pointing that out in his, uh, his footnotes, which... I, I have to highly recommend to anybody, like if you really want to read the most accurate translation available and get a lot of good, juicy background information, uh, definitely read the 2012 revised translation by Anthony Yu, and that is Y U. Okay. Uh, and I, I actually do have uh, PDFs of it available for free on my uh, blog, uh, but of course I please uh, 
support the official release. You know, I, I only have that available just for people because it is quite expensive. Uh, anyway, the rake is actually considered a great treasure. Um, this is demonstrated in chapter 89 when the yellow lion spirit steals the weapons of all three uh, pilgrims. So, you know, uh, Sun Wukong, Jia, and Sha Jing. He later holds the, quote, monk rake festival, end quote, in celebration. And this shows the rake is prized above even monkeys club, which really surprised me. And I'm indebted to uh, someone on Instagram called Adventures from China, all one word. They brought that to my attention, and it's something that I didn't notice before. It's interesting to note that despite serving as a general in heaven, Jia's rake is not the kind that was uh, historically used by the Chinese military. Those of the Ming, when the book was written, were covered with hooks in place of teeth to aid in hooking and pulling enemy horsemen from their mounts. His weapon has more in common with agricultural tools that arose during the Yuan dynasty to make life easier for farmers following the devastation wrought by the Mongols. Despite this, uh, the standard 1592 edition of the novel distributed by the uh, Tang publishing house includes uh, woodblock prints of him wielding a military rink with hooks. Conversely, there is a uh, literary criticism of Journey to the West. It was it actually came out around the same time as the standard 1592 edition. So it's late 16th century, early 17th century. And it includes several woodblock prints that strangely depict him wielding a spiked club. I have no idea why he's using a spiked club and not a rake. So the next thing is, let's see, his golden headband. So if anybody has watched, say, for example, the 1986 TV show, or I know some Definitely in Chinese opera and comic books, art, statues, action figures, what have you. Uh, he is always portrayed with a golden headband, just like Sun Wukong. It even has like the little curly Q uh, shape, you know, that meets in the middle of the forehead and then curls up. This headband actually has no basis in the novel. Uh, when, when he is introduced for a second time, it does mention him wearing a golden cap, but it's a hat. It has nothing to do with like an actual headband. Uh, I think the reason that he is depicted is because he is a warrior monk and there is a headband that is worn by warrior monks in Chinese opera. It's called a uh and that is the ring to forget desires and this symbolizes the military monks they have taken a vow of abstinence one thing that i've mentioned in a previous episode when i was on here is that this headband it's the, and it's the same thing for Kong, is that it's likely based on a ritual band worn by ancient Hindu Tibetan Buddhist yogis in their worship of wrathful protector deities. According to one eighth century, it's called the Habhadra Tantra. 
according to this, the headband represents the esoteric Buddha Akshobhya. And this Buddha was known for his practice of moral self-restraint. So it's kind of a like a, a physical symbol of uh, self-restraint. The very first time we talked, I had mentioned that probably from a Western mind, we tend to look at old myths like the Greek mythologies, biblical accounts, and we see a lot of, uh, we think, like commentary or observations about the human condition. So mm-hmm. in Journey to the West, obviously, monkey is about human beings, or at least how we might interpret it, human beings who have problems with anger or um, mm-hmm. lack of judgment sometimes or pride. And of course, Jubajia would represent someone who is gluttonous, whether it be you know, with food or, or sex. And with the monk, of course, he's a, a coward at times. And uh, is there any evidence that the author of Journey to the West, or any of the authors, I guess you might say, had that in mind? That's my first question. And second, has uh, Chinese culture, as far as you know, recognized that? And has there been any kind of study of that? Or even in maybe Chinese psychology, have they referred to maybe something as, oh, he has the uh, the Sun Wukong you know, complex or something like that? I honestly, I haven't read anything like that, but it wouldn't surprise me if there was. Um, like, for example, there's something called the Buddhist Wheel of Life. It's kind of hard to describe, but if you've seen it, you know what it looks like. It's basically this wheel that is cut up into six sections, and there's usually a... Uh, you can see this monster that's behind it um, and he is clamping his hands around the top of it and he's biting down. That monster is Mara. So like the enemy of Buddhism, he tries to keep people trapped in the illusionary world of samsara. The The wheel itself is uh, cut up into the, section, the six sections and each one of those represents one of the uh, six paths of uh, reincarnation and then at the very very center of the uh the wheel of life there are three animals and there's uh those animals are a rooster a snake and a pig uh the pig obviously has to do with uh uh like greed or or gluttony so i honestly would not be surprised if there was some type of of study or commentary that would um, reference the Buddhist wheel or the pig from the Buddhist wheel of life. Now you live in Taiwan, correct? Yes. And you had you've written about this on your blog, I think, mm-hmm. about there's a cult centered around uh, pigsy. Yes. First of all, how did you discover that, and how does that manifest? I think the way I found out about it is I'm always looking for new things to write about online. I don't know, a couple of years ago, I think I I came across an article talking about the, it was a news, it was a translated Chinese article. So it was, you know, whatever website it was, it had it in both Chinese and English. 
and I happened to see that he was that Chubajia was worshipped as a god. And what really struck me was that he's worshipped by some members of the hospitality industry as the patron deity of prostitution and gambling. And uh, so I was like, oh my god, that's the craziest thing. So when I learned about that, I was like, I really got to go find out where this temple is. And it wasn't that far away. So I, I went there and, and talked with some of the people there. Unfortunately, the main uh, Jubajia uh, statue is it's smaller than some of the other ones. So, and he's not super important. You know, there are a lot more gods that are more important than him. So they have them kind of tucked away. But they, they did have, the temple there did have a book with all of the gods that they worship. And, you know, I was able to flip through and find his entry. And, and there was some in, pretty in, interesting information. Um, and then after that, I actually found a very, very brief paper written by somebody that, that mentioned Juba Jez, uh worship. And so I just kind of wrote like a, a brief article about it. And then actually somebody far more qualified than myself, uh, he wrote an even longer like article that appeared in a journal. So the, I'll, I'll just give you some of the information that I have. So like I mentioned, uh, Pigsy is worshipped by some members of the hospitality industry as the patron deity of prostitution and gambling. Worshippers pray to him in the morning and in the evening for biz- for more business or for gullible customers who are easily fleeced of their money. Uh, he's, he is worshipped under two names. The first is Juke uh, Shun, which means brother god, pig, or Jew, since, the, since that is his, his surname. Uh, this suggests a close fraternal bond like he's the kind of deity that you want to drink alcohol and chase after girls with and the second is uh show show yeah which means lord give and accept uh this sounds more regal at first but likely represents the exchange of money for flesh between a sex worker and a customer the Statues that worshippers pray to always portray Jubajia in a seated position, wearing a cap and a, one of the, the golden headbands, uh, an open silk shirt which exposes his chubby torso, loose silk pants, and dark boots with upturned toes. And a lot of the versions that I've seen, they have like um, gilded gold clothing. I mean, that that's pretty common in folk religious statues anywhere uh, anyway a lot of statues are gold the the chinese term is uh jin shan which just means golden body sometimes he is seen holding his uh, trademark rake but the version that i absolutely love uh portrays a naked woman sitting long ways across his lap with his left hand resting on her right thigh and the god is depicted with a huge, cheeky grin on his face. And seeing these statues always makes me smile. It's just, he, he just looks, he looks so happy. That's all I got to say. <laughs> yeah. Having a naked lady on his lap. Well, so I got to ask, or if I ever come visit you, I'm, I need you to take me to this temple. Mm-hmm. 
you know, they're, they're worshiping the the Jubajia uh, before he, I guess he ultimately finds redemption and kind of gets over these um, weaknesses that he has. I, I would mm-hmm. ask them, like, so have you read the rest of the Journey to the West, or did you only stop at a certain point? Because, you know, it's his uh, lust and his gluttony, it's not something that's being endorsed in the book. It's, you know, a lot of this is his his journey to get over uh, those um, weaknesses. What's even weirder is that uh, he is worshipped on the mainland, too, but... He has a different name, and honestly, I don't think he is associated with prostitution. So you have all of these different views of this character. So at the end of the novel, he is, you know, he's just basically a a Buddhist janitor. Mm -hmm. You know, like all he does is just eat food. I'm not sure exactly when he became associated with prostitution, because he is a Buddhist monk, and you know, throughout the novel, even though he wants to, he doesn't have sex at all. Although I will say that there is um, a play, the the play I already mentioned, the one from like the early Ming Dynasty, where Zhu Baijie and Xiao Jing actually score with two ladies, but Monkey doesn't because his headband tightens and it gives him erectile dysfunction. <laughs> I'm not making that up. It does happen. I, yeah, I'm, I'm just at a loss. There's a thing in Asia that I found where uh, literary characters are, you know, they can become so popular, obviously, that they are worshipped as gods. And I think Jubaijia just served as like the penultimate example of a lustful greedy character and that's why he was adopted as the the god of prostitution and and gambling you know so you go from a god you know like a buddhist janitor to a god of prostitution and gambling and then on in um fujian province he is worshipped there as well. He is known as the Puji Shengho, which means it's the um, Marquis Sage of Universal Salvation. I honestly know nothing about the specifics of his worship there, but given his the name Marquis Sage of Universal Salvation, I wouldn't think he's a god of prostitution. I'm assuming that his that he was grafted onto an existing deity and that's exactly what happened with the marshal of heavenly reeds so it is interesting to think about how he is is used by different groups to represent different things this may be a bit of a stretch but it just kind of makes me think of like if like tyrannical dictators took uh the indian king i think he was a king or emperor Ashoka and said, "Okay, that's going to mm-hmm. be my patron saint because Ashoka he did kill a bunch of people." But oh, that's true, yeah. But yeah. at the same and time, converted, yeah. At the same time, the guy ended up converting to Buddhism and stopped doing all that and made his life mission to spread Buddhism throughout the world. So to me, it's kind of like a similar thing. Like they just like read half the story. Uh, maybe <laughs> if someone said, "You know, I I really like to persecute Christians," I'm going to make 
uh, Saul, my uh, <laughs> my spirit animal, or something like that. You mm-hmm. know, having neglected, you know, reading that, you know, Saul would eventually stop doing that and become Paul. But anyway, right. it's just amusing to me. Right. Lots of little piggies go to market and they never come home. No, they never come home. They get taken for making bacon. So let's talk about Pigsy and his being portrayed in the films and the cartoons and all that kind of stuff. We've talked a lot about Sun Wukong and how he's been portrayed very artfully and and becomes you know quite a uh, a calling card or an achievement to uh, play him, an honor really. Mm-hmm. Is that the same for Jubajia? Well, honestly, I'm not sure about the actors. You know what they themselves have, uh, think because mm-hmm. I. I didn't think to look into that. That's actually a good suggestion. But one thing that I, I did note is that, you know, in TV shows, cartoons, comics, media generally portrays Jubajia as having uh, peach-colored skin and, like, a short snout. Overall, he has, like, a, a cute, jovial appearance, but the novel presents him as, like, a a grotesque, dark-skinned creature. So, for example, there's a poem in Chapter 8, uh, and it describes him having, quote, lips curled and twisted like dried lotus leaves, ears like rush-leaf fans and hard, gleaming eyes, gaping teeth as sharp as a fine steel file, a long mouth wide open like a fire pot, end quote. Uh, let's see, there, there's lots and lots of these. I'm not going to go through all of them. In chapter 85, a poem describes him having, quote, a snout pestle-like over three feet long and teeth protruding like silver prongs, bright like lightning, a pair of eyeballs round, two ears that whip the, rip the wind in hoo-hoo sound, Arrow-like hairs behind his head are seen. His whole body's skin is both coarse and green, end quote. Uh, in chapter 18, the, there's a poem that describes him having uh, a black face. Uh, of course, all of these poems mention him having, having a long snout and these huge fan-like ears, coarse skin. Uh, one says that he is... Uh, just big and husky, and he causes the wind to, to rise when he walks. So the thing that many people forget is that despite being a slothful and clownish throughout the main story, Juba Jia was originally a man-eating monster mm-hmm. prior to converting to, or being converted by Guan Yin. So. We should mention, too, that the black skin, uh, that's, a, you know, Chinese culture is associated with ugliness, and to have the lightest skin possible is associated with beauty. And that has nothing to do with European uh, imitations and stuff like that. It's just something mm-hmm. that they've had throughout their history. So it, it's another little uh, tidbit to explain why he's described as black. I mean, that is true. That is very, very true. So he's dark, he's ugly. A lot of gods, like these big, tough, coarse gods uh, in Chinese culture. So like the, the god of uh, pestilence, he's actually shown as being you know black and ugly everything like that but on on top of that so the god that i mentioned earlier tian peng yun shui the marshal of of heavenly reeds he was actually 
um, one of the underlings of the dark god of the north. And and so any of the gods who were associated with him were all shown to wear black clothing. So I'm not sure that might also be why he uh, is portrayed as black. Actually, another thing is that because pigs are associated with the water element, uh, water is also associated with the color black. So there are lots of different reasons that might explain, I mean, other than what you said, which I still, I think is correct, just being ugly. Yo, I don't talk to the gang Yo, so but my one, I'm a gang Yo, how do you do I'm a gang So last question. Of course, uh, Simul Kong is a very jealous god, and he doesn't like it if the focus is not on him, at least a little bit. Right. So I do have this question that's not anything about Pigsy, but we were talking online about the fact that uh, Steven Spielberg and George Lucas were aware of Simul Kong's existence. So much so, there was some plan at one point for him to make an appearance in the Indiana Jones movies. Can you talk about that? Yes, yes. I forget exactly how I learned about that, but I just thought it was the coolest thing in the world because I'm a huge Indiana Jones fan. Mm-hmm. And actually, my my background, I have a degree in anthropology, and archaeology is you know one of the, the subfields, at least in American anthropology. So... It is a subject that's near and dear to my heart. According to what I've been able to find out, that in September of 1984, and this was during the theatrical run of Temple of Doom, George Lucas wrote a brief eight-page sketch about his idea of bringing the Monkey King into the Indiana Jones universe. And he later brought on a writer called Chris Columbus to flesh out the story. And according to Columbus's script, uh, he wanted to have Indiana Jones racing against the Nazis to find a fountain of youth in Africa located in the lost city of the Monkey King. This obviously makes no sense for why would a Chinese (laughs) deity have a temple in Africa? Right. Well, that might make sense now, considering how the... The CCP has forced their way into uh, Africa, but that's that's geopolitics yeah. of today. But yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, <laughs> a second draft titled "Indiana Jones and the Monkey King" depicts Wukong as an evil immortal who forces Jones to play a game of human chess and kills the living pieces who are removed from the board. A full version of the supposed script, uh, which is incorrectly titled. Indiana Jones uh, 4 is available online and the end sees a benevolent uh, Kong giving Indiana Jones his magic staff and telling him quote the golden hooped rod will be a faithful friend it is capable of 100 transformations and will always be by your side end quote Mm -hmm. and I, I don't know it just is so weird but thankfully the script was scrapped in favor of what would become indiana jones and the last crusade which came out in 1989 right there was some connection to that fountain of youth they decided to go with the cup of christ as opposed to yeah yeah 
I know that they had wanted to do some more stuff with Chinese folklore. I, apparently, the beginning of the Temple of Doom was supposed to have been like a motorcycle a pursuit on the Great Wall of China, but I think the CCP wouldn't allow them to film on the wall, so or even near it. Yeah. So that's pretty interesting. You also had mentioned, I think, that Sumo Kong was worshipped in America. Yes, um, that's one thing. Again, I'm just so obsessed with the novel or anything Sumo Kong that I'm constantly looking for things. And I was one day on Google. There was an article from 1892. I think it was from a publication called the the Californian. And the article itself was called "Pagan Temples in San Francisco." It was written by a Methodist pastor named Frederick J. Masters,、uh, and he wrote a lot. From what I could tell, I looked his name up, and his name is in a whole bunch of late nineteenth-century articles. So he wrote a lot about the、um, Chinese religious community, and of course. Uh, at that time period, there's lots of、uh, condescension towards towards it. Like for example, he calls the worship of Sun Wukong. Well, you know what he called the Great Sage. He called it the acme of absurdity and sinfulness. So he mentions that there is a、uh, a place called Spofford Alley, and that's S P O F F O R D Alley. And that place actually still exists, but at one time there was、uh, a temple there, and it included、uh, an altar statue to the great sage equal in heaven. The actual word that he uses, you can tell that it's you know southern.、Uh, I don't know if it's Cantonese or some dialect from Fujian, but it's Tai Tin Tai Xing. So just you can just tell from the way he spells it. You know that it's Southern Chinese,、mm-hmm. but in the article itself, he just describes the temple itself, the story about how monkey was hatched from a boulder and learned the language of men and、uh, was possessed of supernatural powers, and then the the rest of the article just talks about how the the temple guardian, basically the temple guardian was was stupid and didn't know anything about. Modern science, because the the pastor, for whatever reason, actually brings up Darwin, evolutionary theory, and he quotes some kind of a poem to the guy talking about how、uh, man evolved from apes. It's it's really weird, honestly.、Mm-hmm. But the the one thing that I, I stressed in my article is that people who、um, brought their worship of the great sage with them were likely from southern China, just based on the language used. And、uh, a lot of people, especially in 1852 during the gold rush, came from Guangdong and、uh, Fujian provinces to you know make their fortune. Another thing that is interesting is that. The aforementioned Spofford Alley was actually home to the Chikong Tong, or the Chamber of High Justice Society, and these were basically、uh, the Chinese Freemasons, the secret Chinese society turned criminal organization, running Chinatown's illicit opium gambling and prostitution trade. The、uh, Chikong Tong were originally an offshoot of anti-Manchu rebels who wanted to overthrow the foreign-ruled 
Qing dynasty. One thing that uh, I've written an article elsewhere mentions that um, during the Boxer Rebellion, which took place, you know, not too long after this article. So 1892 uh, in the Californian, that's when that was written. So the Boxer Rebellion happened in 1899 uh, to 1901. And there are uh, writings from a German uh, priest who and call whatever you want to call it, like be possessed by the the spirit of the great sage equal in heaven. So it to me, it's it's very very possible that you have this temple in America that is um, dedicated to the great sage. You have these anti-Manchu rebels. There's evidence for anti-Manchu rebels revering uh, Sun Wukong. So it's very possible that these anti-Manchu rebels were, you know, worshiping the great sage. And then also of note is that Sun Yat-sen actually stayed uh, with the Chi Kong Tong several times at their number 36 Spofford Alley office while he was in America raising money for his uh, revolution in China. So Sun Yat-sen is in no way related to Sun Wukong. But it's interesting that you have uh, him in the same place at the same time with these rebels who may have worshipped Sun Wukong. Okay, so if you want to plug your blog and let folks know how they can get a hold of you if they want to. I run a a blog. Well, it was WordPress, but then I spent a little extra money to get my own domain. If you would like to check out my blog, it is journeytothewestresearch.com, all one word. Uh, I have, I think, close to 100 articles on just about anything you can think about from uh, the worship of Sun Wukong to articles on the origins of Jubachia, on Xiao Wujing, Tripitaka's previous incarnation, just about everything you can think of. If you're still in a Xiyoji, Mood, you may give previous episodes featuring Mr. McClanahan to listen, including 183 and 200. Or, if you're curious of Chinese history in general, episode 211 is a good one, where we talk to Duke University professor Xi Lian about his biography of communist revolutionary turned Christian martyr Lin Zhao. In the Corner Back by the Woodpile is produced by A Closet, A Pocket, and A Suitcase. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or podbeam.com. If you'd like to send us some hate mail, you can email us at spuncounterguy at hotmail.com. See ya, and I wouldn't want to be ya.